Shamai hello, my name is Sam Cook, the TV writer at Wales Online, and welcome to this podcast. Over the course of the next half an hour, we'll be hearing from some of this country's biggest stars, from where they got their big break, to struggles that they may have faced along the way. Today we'll be putting singer and 2007 X Factor runner-up, Ridian, in the spotlight. Ridian, I suppose the natural place for us to start is by talking about your new album. You said just off camera there that you are releasing the album sometime in February. So talk to us a little bit about the new album. Yeah, so I'm 40 this year. Uh, I celebrate my 40th on the 14th of February, Valentine's Baby. And I just thought, you know, uh, I've, I've enjoyed my career. It's been 15 years since that show and I've released eight albums already and I just wanted to kind of sign off really my singing career which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute um this year with a couple of releases one classical album purely classical to get into the classical charts and I was fortunate enough to get a a number one uh in 2014 and I'd like another number one this year just uh, that would be a nice birthday present so I put together all my favorite classical album uh, classical songs hymns and arias is actually literally called Ridian classical album hymns songs and arias i've got it here actually um so that's uh, fresh off the press i'm doing that and then later in the year i'm doing like a best of of all my favorite songs from the pop world and musical theater and classical etc and then that'll be it then i'm literally hanging up my recording voice so so you're actually going to 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 leave singing <laughs> after, after that yes yeah, so I, I've not been performing much at all uh, out of choice um, since 2019. Um, I took the decision to go to the other side of, uh, of music and promoting, managing, agenting acts. And I work with Neil O'Brien now. We, we're the agents to, you know, Dion Warwick, Joe Bonamassa, Paul Weller, UB40, Elaine Page, John Barrowman, and many, many others, you know, and, so since joining, I've brought a lot of, of my friends over to the agency, like Jason Donovan, who we represent, Lee Mead, who's been a long friend of mine. I manage his day-to-day. Some people might know Lee from, obviously, Joseph or Casualty in Holby. So I, um, And then quite a few others. And I look after the sort of Broadway and West End fraternity mainly. Uh, but there's also a cruel element to what we have with the sort of Britpop era. We look after, like, Ocean Colour scene uh, and an agent for for a plethora of different acts, you know. And uh, songwriting wise, Jimmy Webb he's a legend, you know. Uh, Mike Peters from The Alarm. Many of the Welsh listeners will know that. Mike's on our books as well. So it's very very involved. And recently, this last year, I should say, two thousand twenty-two, uh, we took on uh, promoting Sabrina Terville, which was brilliant for me because I've achieved a lot of what I wanted to achieve in singing uh, myself. And now as a promoter, to be promoting my childhood hero, Sabrin, was amazing. So I took him on tour uh, last year throughout the UK uh, with an orchestra. So that was a pinch me moment because he was one of the main reasons I started to sing. Listening to him at the prom singing, listening to the Childs Brothers, who were Welsh as well, used to play the euphonium, got me into music. Uh, and then watching the opera, um, The Pearl Fishers. So Bryn was 
vital in, in, in that uh, introduction to me wanting to do what I do. So now to be working with him and having him on our books is amazing. How would you say it compares sort of being behind focus uh, and actually looking after talent? Yeah, well, it, it's a different sort of pressure, really. I prefer it because you look, you're working with different personalities. Uh, it's different every day. And you could argue that it's different every day when you're a singer, but the pressure is the same. I used to get an anxiety a little bit like people who were scared of flying, you know. You'd, um, you'd worry about it a week before. With some of the gigs I was doing all over the country and, and further afield around the world, you'd think about it. You'd want to do a great job, you, you know, and all the elements have to be in place. And so that stress has been alleviated somewhat. And it's working with other people's made me realize how precious I was and how I was worrying for no reason. I didn't make it that enjoyable. You know, once I was on stage, I used to love it. And I put on a good show, I hope. Working with these great professionals now who are standing this test of time has made me realize maybe I was never cut out for it in the first place. But, you know, X Factor and all that was just a stepping stone for me to release music, but then invest in other things and my main job is actually property i i buy i buy property i renovate i've got you know i I, i'm a landlord and i'm just investing now in 125 units in south africa building houses there so that's my main source of income the music now is fun so to answer your question music's become a lot more fun for me now well, I was actually going to um move me seamlessly onto my next question is you touched on that you've released eight albums now, and that is a huge amount for any musician. Would you say that you still enjoy it? My passions are music, for sure. Music, property, travel and eating. <laughs> I would say my main ones and sports as well. Uh, and so I love music. Me personally being at the forefront, no, I don't particularly enjoy it. You know, it's it's bizarre, like the whole fame thing and notoriety was I was grateful for it for sure but I was never enticed and uh, craved it you know I knew that it was short-lived and people who hold on to fame will always be disappointed so um you can get wrapped up in that and and um it can become a sort of drug to want to be recognized and people say nice things about you but I very quickly thought I don't I don't really care I don't really care as long as I got good people around me. You know, I have a good sense of who I am as a person. Um, and no matter how hard you train and how good you become in the world of celebrity and performing, it's very difficult to stay at a level. The magic can happen for some people. Let's say Paul McCartney. Let's say Mick Jagger. Let's say Tom Jones. Although he's had dicks, but he's back up, and I admire that that longevity. But the vast majority of us just keep just it's a slow descent and decline, mm-hmm. and you can keep away at it, and then you find yourself for twenty years singing to te- ten people, let's say in a club, which has never happened to me. Luckily, my last show was to sell out thousand crowd, ironically in Wales, and I said that's it. But I knew when to step off and do something different, because uh, yeah, and that's just my that's just me. Was that because I hate music? No, I absolutely adore music of all genres. And now being a manager and an agent, I'm working with all different genres. Um, but it's it's the nerves it takes to be spot on every night with classical singing, the pressure of that. I mean, if you fluff a note on television or whatever, 
it, there's no there's no hiding from it and you're expected to be good when you're trained like like I was you know you you're, people expect a lot from you that was a great challenge initially but when you achieve what you think is your optimum and I think I have you know I've done some great things yeah I mean I, I that sounds a little bit arrogant I should say I, I felt like I've achieved a lot of what I wanted to achieve you know singing with Celine Dion singing for the Queen in her front room at Windsor Castle and all of these things I've had pinch me moments where do you go from that when it's slight and when when you're on the decline I'm now moved into a, an area of music where I can reinvent myself and achieve a lot and I'm already doing that with Neil uh, my business partner Neil O'Brien there's going to be a lot of listeners now who, of course, will know you from The X Factor and appearing in the fourth series of The X Factor. So cast your mind back to that time uh, and and when that all kicked off for you. Why did you apply in the first place? Not to contradict what I said earlier, but at the time I was at music school and being a singer was going to be a long slog. You know, the the reality is if you go to music school as a vocalist, you're probably going to end up doing three things or four things, maybe. You're going to be a teacher, <laughs> you're going to be in an opera chorus, or you'll be a concert singer doing oratorios, you know, the Messiah every Christmas or something. Or the magic can happen and you can become a lead in Covent Garden or in La Scala or whatever. But very, very few singers get to that level. I was never good enough to be there. You know, Sabrin did and still does and is phenomenal. That's why I love the man so much. and. You know, uh, still my hero. <laughs> you know, um, so I went on X Factor literally because I was crossing over. I love musical theatre and pop as much as I did classical. So how did I fuse the two together? Because at music school, it was frowned upon to like musicals and pop. You had to just go down the bona fide classical route, and I was always resistant. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I want to sing to a wider public. You know, and use my training and apply it to music, which is more familiar with the wider audience. So I thought, right, there's this show, X Factor. And at the time, it was a big deal. It's what people did before they went out on a Saturday night. Or, you know, similarly, uh, uh, the family would watch together and vote. And there was no catch-up television and stuff. So we, we used to rake in 13, 14 million people uh, every Saturday, which was good audiences. So that was good exposure. So I applied literally because I wanted to have a record deal. That was the prize. The thing about the shenanigans and the stories and the editing and all, I didn't, I didn't know anything. I just thought it's a singing competition. I didn't realize you needed a whole load of layers of backstory. You know, more fool me. I should have done more research, I guess. But yeah, I, I went on to get lead roles in musicals and to release albums. Sure. And they're huge numbers week on week. This was in, like, like you said, before the days of catch-up television where people would just flock to the TV screens every Saturday night to watch this show, myself included, uh, and a lot of the people that I know w would watch it week by week and, and tune in every week and be excited to find out who was going or who was going to win. That must have been a huge amount of pressure for you. You'd think so. Um, it was weird. I, I'm so different now. I've, I've certainly mellowed. <laughs> and and part of the reason I, I I'm not seen so much anymore, and I don't perform is because I don't particularly like performing in front of an audience. I find it difficult now. You know, the older you get, the more acute you realize how difficult it is to do. You know, it's it's like what we do is hard. Singing in front of 
millions of people or, you know, in a live concert, thousands of people. When you get on the show itself, for me, it was just a case of performing to the 400 people in the studio, not thinking about the lens. If you look down the lens and go, there's 13 million people watching me, you might get a little bit nervous and that will affect the performance. But what I did, I'd play to the crowd there in front of me. And I was very accustomed to doing that from my training in music school or being in productions. So uh, that's what I did. And so I thrived on it. The first week, I have to confess, was nerve-wracking. I just thought I was out first week. And no one wants to go first week in anything, be it The Apprentice, Big Brother or X Factor or whatever. And so I was thinking, I'm going. I'm, I know I'm going to go. Anyway, turns out I stayed. And uh, I stayed until, until the end. So every subsequent show, I just really enjoyed. And part of the reason I enjoyed it was because of the team that was given to me that, you know, the best choreographers, like Brian Friedman would work with me, a Britney's choreographer. You'd have great vocal coaches. You'd have all the production and the lights. And, you know, it would be thousands of pounds for me to do a show like they put on with just mm -hmm. the, the the LED screen alone, you know. So... Uh, I, I loved it and all the, the co collaborations we had and the people we met on the way, you know, I mean, I've, I've met amazing people. I don't want to name job, but you can imagine that there's a, there's a, and all of that was made available because of that show. So I actually really enjoyed it. There is a bit of pressure when you stand in there with your judge and then the, the results are coming in because you know, it's a foregone conclusion. I was just grateful to get through every week. I love that you can now look at it with a sense of realism and, and I'm detecting that kind of kind of in in your voice that you, you talk about it not as if it was this amazing time in your life which which it, which it obviously was but you you almost talk about it like yeah okay this was a point in my career but it was by no means going to be the the end of my career did you ever worry that people would think of you as just Ridian from X Factor it did cross my mind. And at the time, I was maybe concerned about that. But now I'm, people do refer to me as that. And I'm quite proud of it because that was my moment to shine, my moment in the sun. I capitalized on it. But it's a show that's produced a lot of big names. You know, if you look at Harry Styles, probably one of the biggest pop stars in the world, came from that show. And he came third in with One Direction. Little Mix with the biggest girl group in Britain, I think, since Girls Allowed. And they came from X Factor. You've got Ollie Mears, who's had a great career. Leona Lewis, Rylan Clarkston, well, on the other side, presenting. I mean, he's a superstar. Uh, Stacey, you've got JLS, a massive soul boy group, you know. And there are, there are many more. I mean, James Arthur's had some hits. So it was a great platform. Um, and I was one of the few classical acts. And I had white hair. And I was Welsh and proud of it, by the way. Uh, and so I, I, I made the best of it. And whilst I'm maybe known as really from the X Factor, I don't shy away from that. I'm very grateful to Simon Cowell and the show uh, for taking me on in the first place. And I'm extremely grateful for everybody who voted for me. But I went on and I went into the musical theatre world and performed in many shows, eight or nine different productions. And I did classical FM and I released classical albums, became classical number one. And I became a sort of classical anthem singer. I wasn't just booked for being a celebrity of X Factor. You know, hopefully I was booked um, post X Factor for 
the the voice as well, you know. But yeah, I think that that's all I can say about that. And then the show finishes, uh, and it's this massive hype, uh, and and everyone's watching, and then all that stops. So how did your life change afterwards? Well, that's a great question because I can tell you exactly verbatim actually what happened. The show stops. I come second. No one gives a crap. <laughs> like they all go to the winner. I go to the changing room, and you're like, I failed. I failed the public that voted for me. I didn't win. And no one's picking up. This is what you think. You think no one's going to pick up the phone. It's over. My opportunity is gone. I don't have the deal. I wanted the million pound deal. So you're there. And I didn't cry throughout that show at all to my detriment because they love a sob story, don't they? <laughs> but I did. I didn't cry. But I have to confess in the change room, there was a little tear. And, and what it was, was the energy it took to get that far. You know, it's not just singing every Saturday night. There's all of the press you do. There's the VT footage. There's the story, backstory. And, you know, living in a house full of contestants of all ages. It was okay. Tolerable, let's say. But there's pressure. You know, you want to yeah. be with your home. You your home, you know. But you're not for 12 weeks. And there's pressure to win it. And there's a lot of people watching. And there's a record deal at stake. So you're thinking, no one's going to book me. I'm literally, uh, the next day, the managers that you you're you're given um who yeah, anyway it's another story uh who who managed one direction little mix leona all over the years they came and said oh we might get you know a few things like songs of praise and all that's like oh gee gee thanks i mean not i love songs of praise but i'm like at the time you're like i, I kind of wanted to release my music as a solo artist and the recording artist. And then I went to my singing teacher's house, who I adored, Christine Cairns. And when I got there in Oxfordshire, I had a phone call from Simon Cowell himself. And he said, I'm going to offer you the deal. And not just the deal, but a better deal. So I ended up having a better deal than the winner. And in that moment on, I mean, I've gone goosey thinking about it because I remember vividly the phone call. I went from a little bit of disappointment to elation and then thereafter the record label took over from the tv company and then it was all about sony and they treated me very very well i had first class everything six star everything private jets and all sorts of different things not very often i have to say I went on a private jet once uh now it's bad for the climate so we don't do, we don't do it hey but but it was you know it was the last year of lavish spending in, in music just at the just before the crash you know and I and I loved it and took full advantage of it and uh, went to L.A., worked there a lot with my record, uh, Sweden. I lived out in Stockholm for a while working with you know, people like Max Martin, uh, David and Per Magnusson and all the best producers in the world. So I was in my oils, in my element. I think you asked, how did it change and, and what did you think? So it went from being it's over to it's very much on. And then I got an S S4C, took an interest because I speak a bit of Welsh. And I had my own TV show and a documentary following me around. Musical theatre wanted me. They wanted me in the 25th anniversary of Les Miserables. But the record label wouldn't let me, actually. So that's, a, that's one regret of mine. Yeah, well, you mentioned how you still get goosebumps on the back of your neck when you talk about that call. Would you say that that was one of, if not the, best moments of your life? Yeah, for sure. 
that was and and you know i had a, a good working relationship with 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 carol he he, he was good to me because he understood that genre and he looked after il devo and all that and he, he he appreciated classical singing and so that was amazing to have his uh, his backing um that was a great moment singing with celine dion was a great moment meeting the queen singing for her the king king now king charles i did a lot for him because i'm an ambassador of his trust um and being being a number one and a double platinum selling artist probably my favorite moments uh I, I, and, and there'd be many more you know pinch me moments and the, and some of the lead roles i played uh working with great producers having D diane warren who wrote don't want to miss a thing for aerosmith have lunch with me and write me three songs that was amazing walter afanasiev wrote me some songs and produced some of my first album he he wrote All I Want for Christmas Is You for Mariah and many other hits. And, and, and Desmond Child living on the prayer. You know, I, I, I worked with these people, the greats. I never regarded myself as the great, but I was learning from these people. And every moment going, savoring it and going, this won't last forever. The most important thing is, is to realize it won't last forever and invest wisely with any, any money you make. Yeah. Was there always that fear? that it would come to an end at some point or when you were living it, were you like, oh, this, this is going to go on forever. This is, this is my life now. Another great question because and it, you're, you're, you're led to believe it will go on forever because, you know, when you're making the money for the agency and the, and, 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 and the record label, uh, they, they treat you as if, you know, we've got a great thing going here. And, but then you've got to realize it's very cutthroat. And, and I stayed with him for three years and then I left. I knew it would come to an end because I'm a realist, you know. Uh, but but the, the career as a whole didn't come to an end after three years. You know, I, I had another 12 years after that doing great work. Uh, you wanted to go on longer. And my biggest regret was I, I was never really released worldwide. Mm. Uh, I didn't go to America and I didn't go... Uh, to Australia and I, I went to a little bit of um, Asia. Well, why uh, didn't you do that? Why, 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 why was that not on the agenda for you? Because it was a conscious decision from Sony at the time, Simon Cowell, because it's a conveyor belt. He's got his next show the next year and, you know, Susan Boyle came along and then other people and then they take priority and r rightly or wrongly, yeah, it's good for them. But he he's got a formula that works and he just churns them out. And so to release me um, internationally would have been too much of a ball ache, seemingly. That was a big disappointment. And I only know that because I sat with Nikki Chapman, who does a lot of TV. She's got blonde hair. You know the one. Home, home from away or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she's married to the international head of international at Sony. And I sat next to him at dinner and he told me, we wanted to release you internationally, but there was resistance. I can be bitter about that and go, hey. But then again, it is what it is. I'm still grateful for what I had. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, I, sold a, I sold over a million albums. I'm happy with that. And um, taking it back even further, uh, you, you talked about your passion for singing, but where did this all begin? You, you've said about uh, inspirations like Bryn Terrell and various other Welsh singers. So why did you want to be a singer in the first place? I had a, 
uh, like a boy soprano treble voice when I was three and four and I used to perform in Eisted Bod Eyes and everything around Wales and I enjoyed it and I did quite well uh, and a natural inclination towards music so I played the trumpet, a bit of guitar and you know loved performing and I used to go you know perform in the living room for guests that came over to meet my parents and stuff and um, yeah that was me, I was a bit of a I was a show showman from a young age, if you like. Uh, but then I went off it to just concentrate on rugby and sport, and I played a lot of rugby. Um, and so when I was 11, I went to Thunderfree College to focus on rugby. And um, But they had chapel every morning, you know, mm-hmm. which most of the kids hated. They were falling asleep and yawning. But I quite liked it because of the organ and the beautiful singing. You know, uh, and, and and the beautiful music. So I would just sing out. I would go, I'd sing. We always end these podcasts with two questions. And the first one, people always seem to have to have a little think about it. But if you could talk to your younger self right now, what would you tell him? Probably don't be so intense. <laughs> you know, don't be so hard on yourself. Put other people first. If you can, if I, if I knew what I knew now, then it would have been slightly different. But you don't know, so you learn the lessons along the way. There's decisions mm-hmm. I've made I wouldn't make if I knew if I had my time again. You know. Um, and what I love about it, and and just chatting to you, and I think that is so refreshing to hear, is almost that sense of realism about the industry because you see younger people with the dreams that you had of making it big and doing all this sort of thing. And at the time you might think, oh, well, this is all my life will ever come to. And then, it, it you know, you, you take another path. You think at the time that everybody cares the same amount as you care about yourself. And that's just BS. The realisation, <laughs> they don't care, right? And neither should they. You know, you, you become so self-absorbed in your own profile and what you're doing and you think i need people to know that i'm a number one selling artist well you don't because no one cares what matters mm-hmm. is personal connection one-to-one do i like you do we get on do we have more to talk about than just my selfish needs that's what i meant to say you know it, it, it just don't be so self-absorbed because it's gonna fizzle out you can't take it to the grave anyway What's the legacy you leave? For me, what I could take from my music is if I can leave some good good takes of songs that I've recorded when I've passed away, then great. If somebody likes it and is moved by my singing, fantastic. You know, it's not about celebrity for me. Um, but yeah, it's it's about a whole lot of other things. And the second important question, Ridian, is what would you like to see happen next? I don't know where I want to live yet. Um, do I want to stay in London or go further afield? So that that's exciting uh, to, to to think it will change. I want to continue in the same vein with the perform. I want to build our company and our brand and work with great people and continue to tour fantastic acts. We look after Joe Bonamassa. I mean, he's the biggest rock blues guitarist in the world. That's fantastic. So if we get a few more people like that, happy days, you know. So that's on the work front. The property business, I want that to develop for sure. Um, and then 
personally, just stay healthy. Uh, you know, the older I get, and I know I'm not old for some of the listeners out there. I know 40 is not old, but I'm certainly not the guy I was when I was 20. And I've got niggles everywhere. And so I've got, I've, that's my rugby days probably in my sport. But I just want to stay mobile, stay fit. You know, I like staying active. I like walking. I like running. Um, and just experiencing lovely experiences, whatever that may be. You know, is it is it going to the Formula One and being in the pits and meeting a driver? Is it a nice meal somewhere on a beach in a faraway land? These moments, but to share that with somebody or someone or other people would be great. So, yeah, the immediate next is I want a number one in the classical chart. So help me out there. Um, and then and then just see what, what happens. I'm open to anything, really. I, I am open to anything. Well, uh, Rajan, this has been insightful. Thank you so much for having a chat with me. Uh, and I wish you all the best with whatever comes next. Thank you very much. Awesome. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of In the Spotlight. For more TV and showbiz news, subscribe to our newsletter on walesonline.co.uk. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for future episodes. Music.